Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Florida lawmakers approve a big gambling expansion. Congresswoman Val Demings is gearing up to challenge Marco Rubio for his Senate seat. And Governor Ron DeSantis is fueling 2024 speculation with a trip to Pennsylvania today. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Fins. But first... That music means it's time for some number picking. John, you you had a lot of numbers in your head today with the the gambling session. Uh, tell did you, can you pick one out for us? <laughs> I do. I do have a lot of over and unders, but uh, no, I do have a number today, and it's five and a half. Five and a half. All right. How about you, Antonio? You know, I'm so glad I went really low. Figuring John, you know, back from vacation would probably go a little higher you know as he, when he goes high I go low so I'm going with the two all right well I didn't think that my number would be the highest this week with a six but I got John beat by a half remember those numbers folks uh, write them down we'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show well Florida's big special legislative session on gambling wrapped up Wednesday with the legislature approving a new compact with the Seminole tribe that legalizes sports betting. The new law would significantly expand gambling in Florida, but it's certain to face legal challenges. John, you covered the special session. What stands out to you about the gambling deal and and what comes next in this debate? Well, the gambling deal is a big one if it stands up in court and wins approval from the U.S. Interior Department under the uh, Indian Gaming Regulatory Act. Uh, Then there is also a likely lawsuit challenging whether this kind of gambling expansion can be enacted by the legislature as part of the Seminole Compact or whether it should go before voters who in 2018 approved a constitutional amendment requiring any new casino gambling to go before voters. Uh, The Interior Department is required to act on the compact within 45 days of the governor signing the bill into law and a, uh, a lawsuit by no casinos supporters you know, may or may not precede that decision. It's uh, it's possible even uh, Gulfstream Park, the uh, the thoroughbred race course in Bar- Broward County, which along with uh, Tampa Bay Downs are the they're the only tracks that are going to be required to continue live racing in the state. That they could challenge the legislature's action because they've not been given the option to end racing, which is uh, offered to other tracks and uh, highlight frontons, which uh, can stop live games. Um, you know, all told, the, the the quick action by the legislature to approve this 30-year compact, which could bring the state like $20 billion in revenue over three decades, uh, that, that may be the highlight right now, you know, for, for Governor Ron DeSantis and the Seminole Tribe. Um, it, 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 you know, it's really hard to say whether President Biden's Interior Department will be ready to give DeSantis a victory by approving the compact as it is. John, you make a good point. I mean, three days to approve a, a deal that has a, a lot of moving parts here and really affects many areas of the state in terms of the the gambling options that could be available. Um, you know, billions of dollars at stake here, uh, you know, concerns about, you know, uh, people, you know, financial issues that people could face if they have uh, gambling problems. I mean, all that gets three days in the legislature. Yeah, yeah. And there was really uh, very limited opposition. You know, uh, you know, I've watched this legislature for a long time, and uh, it seems like there, there was no uh, overt, um, you know, 
Christian coalition of Florida worrying about its impact on, you know, uh, social values in the state. There was a brief uh, demonstration outside the Capitol by uh, the uh, faith and family uh, folks, but uh, that was not much of a presence. It didn't seem to uh, make its way inside the building. Uh, legislators that you uh, normally consider sort of social conservatives, cultural conservatives, uh, they didn't say a, a peep, you know, against the uh, the gambling compact. And then similarly, uh, there used to be a lot of concerns from Central Florida where Disney had always been an opponent of any kind of casino expansion. And uh, in this case, casino, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Disney, which now uh, owns a stake in DraftKings and also they own ESPN, which is a, you know, a font of sports betting as well. Um, the, the Disney was very silent and the Central Florida legislators were very quiet too because, you know, obviously Disney is a little bit conflicted on whether uh, to say no to gambling or not. But, you know, it's still possible that this compact gets changed or rejected by Interior because it allows the unusual step of insisting that the betting uh, uh, that is occurring. Uh, it, it, historically, the, the Interior wants betting to uh, take place on tribal lands. But in this case, uh, people could uh, be online placing bets on NFL games, fights, you know, NBA games and other things using their phone. Uh, but the the wager is being processed on servers located on tribal lands, so that's why they're considering this to be just part of the compact. Uh, mm. You know, that, that's not quite the same as going to the tribal land now to place a bet, you know, on a slot machine or something. You know, um, anyway, the gambling compact has a, a lot of moving parts, but getting it through the legislature is only a, a first step at this point. And uh, but you know, if it stands, the Seminole tribe will be the state's sports bookmaker for uh, in-person casino, uh, online, and mobile app wagering. And, uh, of course, you know, the paramutuals, they've been uh, largely supportive. They're, they've been struggling for years, but they can make money off sports betting at their facilities uh, through this, too, by contracting with the uh, Seminoles. So, you know, for, to a certain degree, the, you know, this is – DeSantis's art of the deal moment, uh, you know, kind of borrowing a page from his mentor of President Trump. But it's still a little too early to declare the governor the, uh, you know, the, the big jackpot winner politically right now. Do you do you have a sense of why there was pretty uh, limited resistance to this deal? I mean, there was an effort by this no casinos group and some social conservatives to to, um, you know, to try and derail this, but it, but uh, they didn't seem to gain much traction. As you mentioned, you know, uh, a lot of the conservatives in the legislature who maybe it seemed in the past, um, you know, some of the, these types of lawmakers would have criticized this, didn't really speak up. Is that because DeSantis is behind this and he's pretty popular among Republicans? Is there just less of a concern among gambling these days? I mean, obviously, gambling is now pretty well established um, in Florida with the, the Seminole tribe and some of these paramutuals. I mean, you still did see some voices like former Governor Jeb Bush you know, spoke out against this. That was kind of a, an interesting um, you know, statement from him. But, but really, um, it, it seemed uh, pretty smooth approval for this bill. Oh, yeah, it really was. I, it's a combination of factors, and you you touched on several of them there. You, we have a very top-down legislature where there's not much independent thought within this, uh, you know, the 160-member House or 40-member Senate. You basically have what the leaders want, and everybody 
within that party of the leadership the Republicans are dominating uh, just falls in line. They, they, they will not, you know, buck the, uh, the management of the House or the Senate. And in this case, indeed, DeSantis is riding high right now. Nobody really wanted to, uh, you, know, you know, get sideways with the governor right now, it seems like as well. Uh, once they, they softened a couple of elements, uh, doing some limitations to, you know, how much, how far when it comes to online betting the state could go there was a the provision that was taken out of the compact that would have allowed uh, would have required more negotiations within three years with the Seminoles about expanding online their, their online betting capacity uh, that was taken out another element that seemed to have support within uh, Republicans in the house was the creation of this gaming commission a gaming control commission which uh, is largely going to oversee uh, gaming in the state, uh, you know, off off the uh, tribal reservations. So uh, you'll have somebody, uh, this gambling commission that's going to be a five-member, uh, $136,000 a year, similar to the, to the public service commission that oversees utilities. They're going to be allegedly, you know, regulating gambling in the state when it comes to making sure that the paramutuals don't start offering games that might conflict with the compact or anything like that, which has been a problem in the past. Uh, so uh, you have that. Uh, that seemed to placate some uh, concerns as well. And then lastly, I think there is something about sports betting that, uh, you know, it, it's not like a big casino arriving in some community. It's so much of it is done online that people kind of feel, uh, you know, maybe it's here already. They don't really know. You know, you, they see ads for DraftKings and FanDuel and they watch, you know, betting shows on ESPN and uh, Fox uh, Sports. So they're kind of like, you know, you know may, maybe it's not as obstructive or disruptive as a uh, giant casino arriving in Orlando or Tampa or Miami. So uh, that, that, that seemed to make people think, well, you know, let's just uh, – you know, approve this. And then, uh, then lastly, I think there is a certain amount of uh, a certain element that they're, they're not even sure if this is going to happen, but politically they've done their part. The one of the big proponents of the legislation representative Randy fine from uh, uh, the, the space coast area. He, he spoke on the floor, very much urging people to support the compact. But then he says like in passing, I really don't think it's going to, uh, you know, get approved. So, mm. um, that, that was a kind of a strange, uh, you know, voice <laughs> of support for it. But uh, indeed, you know, people went ahead and voted for it. So, yeah, And it is a good point. I mean, these uh, DraftKings and FanDuel, I mean, there, there is there already are some some uh, avenues for some of this um, sports betting that I guess operate offshore. So are able to get around some of these um, uh, regulations. So, um, you know, I guess this doesn't uh necessarily change the options um for for that um type of betting uh antonio for south florida you know one of the interesting aspects of this debate is sort of the portability of uh paramutual licenses the this compact um does allow um some portability i mean it's not a violation of the compact to transfer uh, licenses, um, you know, as long as uh, the transfer is is at least 15 miles away from uh, a Seminole uh, property, um, you know, that has opened up a lot of speculation about whether a Trump property 
could get a license and whether other prominent, um, you know, hotels in the South Florida area could get gambling licenses, which sort of uh, is uh, something that they've sought for uh, many years. How, how has this debate played out in South Florida? Well, gentlemen, we may find in another decade that the biggest visible impact from this compact may not end up being the sports betting, but the arrival finally uh, for pro casino people of big time casino gambling in South Florida. Now, I think I had to caution, uh, you know, our listeners here that as as you guys and the rest of the USA Today Florida Network team have reported, there are a lot of hurdles to cross here. There's the Department of Interior, the feds, you know, there's potential court battles, there's even city ordinances that have to be dealt with. But having said all that, you're right, Zach. I mean, this the the feeling down here in South Florida is that there's no question that the door has been opened to so-called portability or the transfer of gambling uh, licenses. Um, that you know, there, Right now in the state, there are a very limited number of these licenses, and they're basically uh, captive to the paramutuals that own them. But the talk of the town all week in South Florida uh, wasn't the sports betting. It was, will these license, will this portability be granted or permitted? Look, you know, big time casino gambling has been the dream of many down here in South Florida dating back to 1986. That's when the uh, casino gambling first appeared on the Florida ballot. It was voted down, though, that year. Uh, but there was approval of gambling on that ballot that despite the, the fact that casinos went down because that another item on the ballot was the lottery that was created that year. And we know what's happened there. Now, almost 20 years ago, casino light gambling, let's call it was approved for paramutuals, uh, first in Miami-Dade and Broward counties, you know, and along with the broader expanded bidding games that followed at the Seminole and Miccosukee casinos down here. Uh, but paramutual gambling has largely remained a very kind of small-scale affair. It caters mostly to retirees and people looking for something to do on the weekend other than going to see a movie. Uh, the new gambling deal potentially opens the door to transfer of those paramutual licenses via sale to much deep pockets, deep pocketed uh, properties. Who would be wanted by one? Well, there's been talk about the Fountain Blue Resort in Miami Beach. And of course you mentioned uh, Zach Trump National in Doral, which is west of Miami. And that's brought out familiar opposition. In a preemptive strike last week, actually, the Doral City Council unanimously passed an emergency ordinance prohibiting gambling without putting the issue first to the residents for a vote. Um, in addition, Armando Codina, a big-time developer in, in Miami-Dade County and a, a partner of sorts of uh, former Governor Jeb Bush, uh, you know, basically said that, you know, that no businesses can drive, thrive in the shadow of casinos. He said, you know, um, you know, that he didn't, you know, he didn't see the need, he said, to turn Miami-Dade County into a big casino venue. You know, Codina has been against casinos, so has former Governor Bush, who issued a statement also opposing the compact. Um, but in the case of Trump National Doral, and this is kind of the, the really interesting one with the one with the political overtones, Fountain Blue would be, you know, a, a big casino on Miami Beach. It would not really stand out from, you know, the, the, the culture of the, of the beach, should we, shall we say. But Trump Doral is kind of a special case because an influx of gambling Revenue could help that failing resort get back on its feet. Um, it could also make it appealing to a new buyer um, who perhaps, you know, uh, may may want to unload the Doral National. And you know, what we do know 
is that resort has really suffered because of the pandemic and in the last couple of years. For example, in a financial statement, the, uh, the Trumps released early this year, the golf revenue at Doral plummeted from $77.2 million in 2019 to just $44 million last year. Food and beverage sales also fell dramatically from 5.5 million to 1.6 million in the same time frame. Um, so another cash infusion you know, through gambling could help offset all those losses and really give the, the Doral property, uh, put it back on the seat financially. Then there's also the political aspect to this. You know, a cash infusion could add to former President Trump's, uh, shall we say, his political war chest. We know that because of, you know, through reporting, that because of the election fraud, the basis of election fraud claims he's made, he's made, he was able to raise somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 million. And we saw how he used that money and his base to recapture hold of the Republican Party, as we discussed in last week's podcast. Imagine if he got another cash infusion via gambling that it could help also then fund you know, the political activity. So uh, it's gonna be really interesting to see what goes on going forward. But clearly you have to think that at least those two properties, the Fountain Blue and Trump Doral are really taking a look at potential obtain, you know, obtaining a, a a, a gambling license. Yeah, and there's so much money uh, involved here, and uh, you know the the politics behind the scene are are, are pretty interesting. So uh, I don't know. There's been talk about big time casino gambling in places like Miami Beach for for decades, and it's never uh, really materialized. Could this be the the compact that opens up the door? We'll have to wait and see. Well, while Florida lawmakers were debating gambling, Congresswoman Val Demings appears to have decided that she wants to bet her political future on a run for Senate, not governor. Demings was rumored to be a likely candidate to take on Governor Ron DeSantis, but instead she will try and take out U.S. Senator Marco Rubio, according to a political article this week that quoted a Demings advisor. Antonio, Demings is a a top-tier recruit for Democrats. Do you think she could be the toughest opponent that Rubio has faced so far? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think this is going to be you know, one of the more intriguing U.S. Senate races in 2022. Look, Marco Rubio has been one of the state's most popular political figures for more than a decade. And Val Demings has come on strong the last few years. Uh, what got her her first national platform was the, uh, the debates on the first impeachment of uh, President Trump back in 2019. There, she was a member of both the Judiciary Committee in the House and also the House Intelligence Committee. So she got a lot of airtime as those two committees were the ones that really investigated the the impeachment accusations and then uh, debated and approved the articles of impeachment. And during that time, she gave some really impassioned speeches that got onto the cable news networks. And then from there, she basically became almost a go to uh, on, on some of the national cable uh, news programs. Then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi named Demings as a House manager in one of this, I think it was about six members of the House that actually went to the U.S. Senate to prosecute the case against Trump in that chamber. And of course, Trump was acquitted. Now, th- you know, this is going to end up now being this heavyweight match of not just personalities, but of race and ethnicities. Rubio is a son of Cuban exiles. Demings an African-American who faced prejudice in Jim Crow era Florida growing up. Uh, the interesting thing here, too, is we'll see how the GOP is able to deploy its arsenal of radical labels against Demings. She's a former police officer. 
and police chief. And it's going to be really hard to paint her as one of these defund the police radicals. Rubio, though, does have Trump's endorsement and the GOP machine behind him, which is really important because, as we've discussed in the past, he has from time to time irked, if not really angered, that hardline Republican base, um, particularly with his flip-flopping earlier in his Senate as a, in his first term as a senator, his flip-flopping on immigration, it really made people angry. And so one of the reasons why his political, his presidential campaign back in 2016 suffered and why he got drubbed by Trump in his, in his home state of Florida back in the 2016 Florida primary. I talked to Republican activists and they still mention the Gang of Eight and the immigration stuff when it comes to, to Rubio. Yeah. And then the, the other thing about Demings is that she should be able to mobilize the black vote, but especially black women. And in past years, when you get to the mid-year elections, when you get the some of the, for example, the statewide Florida offices, governor, you know, uh, attorney general, those four cabinet spots, when they're up for running, Democrats have largely really struggled in those midterm elections. And one of the reasons is because the black vote has not been inspired to come out and vote for the Democratic candidates. So I think, you know, Demings, you know, may well be able or should be able to, you know, change that. And I, I think this is going to be, um, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I would not venture a prediction other than to say, don't be surprised if the Florida U.S. Senate contest overshadows the governor's race next year because, you know, in Florida will be the hot spot in 2022. Expect a lot of money, a lot of attention and some really, uh, you know, some, some heavyweight matches here. John, what, what do you think this says about uh, the governor's race? I mean, it's an interesting um, decision. If I mean, we, we don't know yet, uh, you know, uh, Demings wait and see what happens when she announces. But if she does decide to run for Senate, I, I wonder, uh, you know, if she thinks that that is potentially uh, an, an easier race. I mean, she uh, her, I guess people close to her told Politico that basically, um, you know, that she just was more interested in, in, uh, you know, the Senate and, and in, in federal issues. And she thought that, uh, was where she should be, but, uh, you know, DeSantis is riding pretty high right now. Some people think that he will be pretty tough to take on. I'm not saying that Rubio will be easy to take on. I mean, he's an incumbent and, um, you know, even though, you know, maybe some Republicans aren't as enthusiastic about him as DeSantis right now, he still has, a, um, you know, a, a strong network in Florida, but, um, you know, do you think that, uh, you know, Democrats are thinking that DeSantis could be tough to unseat? And what do you, what do you think this says about the governor's race? Yeah, no, I, I think it does suggest that high profile Democrats realize that a DeSantis takedown is going to be tough. Uh, the governor at the end of last month had thirty one and a half million dollars cash on hand and his uh, friends of Ron DeSantis spending committee, which is a an enormous amount this far, you know, this far away from uh, election day in November next year. And uh, he seems to have the unswerving loyalty of Florida Republicans. And, uh, you know, we're also seeing nationally, uh, you know, he's a likely White House contender in 2024. So that increases his profile and his fundraising potential for next year's governor's race as well. Uh, right now, you know, we got Democratic Congressman Charlie Chris, the former Republican governor, has already announced his candidacy against DeSantis. And uh, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed is also expected to uh, be a DeSantis challenger. So, so you know, really, that looks like the field right now. Uh, the prospect of Demings getting in uh, into the governor's race, uh, clearly that's not going to happen now uh, since both she and 
her fellow uh, Central Florida Congresswoman, Stephanie Murphy, seemed to see Rubio as a more vulnerable target. Uh, Murphy is also uh, looking at this race very closely. Now, whether Deming's uh, first step into the race is going to uh, uh, block Murphy is uh, still kind of a question mark, but it looks like Murphy might be in it, too. Uh, uh, you know, Rubio has been around longer, uh, just as Antonio pointed out. Uh, you know, he's clashed with Trump, although that seems like a long time ago. And uh, his past stances on immigration uh being not as hardline as many Republicans today, uh, that seems to also uh, set him a little bit apart from his party's dogma right now. Um, plus, the you know, you know what we're seeing is the fleeing of Democratic members of the U.S. House for other offices also suggests that may you know maybe many Floridians right now, many Florida Democrats expect the presidential midterm congressional elections next year to cost them some seats. Um, you know, could the party lose control of the House? And uh, redistricting in Florida, of course, uh, you know, that's going to be carried out by a lockstep Republican leadership in the legislature. That's also going to make uh, some of these incumbent districts less Democratic friendly than they are today. Uh, so, you know, all told, it's a it's a tough time to be a Democrat in Florida, it seems. But I think I think that's something you could have said for uh, most of the the 21st century right now. Yeah, uh, I, and I, I do agree with that, Antonio, that, uh, you know, Deming's. Uh, you know, really does set up a blockbuster matchup with Rubio. It may, might not be uh, great for Democrats uh, in terms of their field of candidates for the governor's race, but, um, you know, this could become the most prominent uh, Senate race uh, in the country. Rubio, obviously, pretty high profile having uh, run uh, for president and, and uh, you know, being considered at one point kind of the, the face of the, the future of the, of the party. And Deming's um, really among the, the top Democrats in terms of, um, you know, uh, the future of that party. Uh, so uh, pretty, pretty interesting matchup if it materializes. Well, even as DeSantis gears up for his 2022 re-election effort, he continues to fuel speculation that he'll run for president in 2024. The governor is expected to speak to a Republican group today in Pennsylvania, a critical swing state that helped deliver Joe Biden the presidency after going for Trump in 2016. John, DeSantis certainly seems to be in demand right now with the GOP. Yeah, he sure does. And he's uh, capitalizing on it right now. Uh, he does seem to be, you know, kind of playing on a stage a lot larger than Tallahassee. Uh, he's become, a, you know, a more frequent Fox News guest in recent weeks. Uh, this week, he before this trip to Pennsylvania that's planned, uh, we're recording this podcast on Thursday, May 20th. He's supposed to be there tonight. Uh, but this week, he's already been to Texas for a fundraiser for his future political campaigns. Uh, you know, maybe it's best to use the, the plural campaigns right now, uh, governor's race and maybe White House run. Uh, and also, uh, he has hired a new press secretary, Christina Puchow, who has been a conservative writer and communications advisor in this country and overseas. She she kind of appears to have a resume and aggressive Twitter style that's designed to challenge Florida and the national media's coverage of DeSantis and, and really, you know, advance the governor. That's the primary role of a press secretary, I guess. Uh, her Twitter handle describes her working for America's best governor. So, um, you know, all told, it seems that DeSantis is looking to keep his profile very high in Republican world. And uh, he's doing all those kind of things that you do when you're running, you know, maybe not just for uh, 
governor's reelection. Yeah, he definitely seems to be checking off some boxes here in terms of uh, positioning himself for um, the future. Well, we'll move on to our numbers. Antonio, tell us about yours. All right, gentlemen, I had two. And two is just two members of Florida's congressional delegation voted with the majority Wednesday to create a commission to investigate the violent January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Both are Miamians, uh, U.S. Representatives Carlos Jimenez and Maria Vera Salazar. They were among 35 House Republicans that defied the party leadership and former President Trump by voting to approve creation of the commission. Now, Trump said Republicans uh, about this vote must get, quote unquote, must get much tougher and much smarter and stop being used by the radical left. Well, you know, that's one way of looking at it. Another is what Jimenez said in a statement after the vote. That, the rec- that he said you know, the recommendations from the commission will, would produce valuable insight on how to improve our security at the Capitol and what can be done to prevent these events from happening again. Um, now, another way of looking at it beyond that could be that perhaps the districts that both Jimenez and Salazar represent are ones in which Trump is unpopular. We know that the Washington, D.C. media has reported that GOP polling has Trump ratings at 15 points underwater in key districts across the country. Now, we don't know if the Jimenez and Salazar districts are among those, but we do know this. Salazar's seat was held for many years by a very moderate Republican, Ileana ross Leighton, and it went that seat went Democratic in the 2018 blue wave. Jimenez's seat has been held by five different men and women over the past decade, three Republicans and two Democrats, Uh, So it is far from a hardline electorate that he is representing. So perhaps drawing a little distance between themselves and Trump might be politically healthy for both Jimenez and Salazar. Then there is what I would say would be the hopeful, inspiring explanation for their votes to break with GOP leadership and Trump on this vote. Um, Both Salazar and Jimenez are Cuban-Americans. And Wednesday's vote took place on the eve of May 20th, or in Spanish, El 20 de Mayo, which is for Cuban exiles and immigrants, it's the day that we commemorate Cuban Independence Day, the the, the day that Cuba broke free from its colonial master, Spain. And it's also a day of remembrance of the Democratic Republic that stood on the island before the 1952 Fulgencio Batista military coup that installed a dictatorship and a dictatorship that was eventually toppled and replaced by Fidel Castro's communist revolution and his own the Castro brothers' own dictatorship. So I would like to hope that maybe Salazar and Jimenez were driven by more than just security concerns and political expediency. I, I would hope that the proximity of that vote yesterday on Wednesday to May 20 reminded them of their ancestors' tragedy and reminded them how fragile democracies, democracies can be and how that January 6th insurrection of the Capitol was a coup attempt, an effort to topple a democratic election that by all independent accounts was fair and honest. And I I would love to think that by voting to create a commission, Jimenez and Salazar want that truth presented to the American people and that the quote unquote next time that we are preventing isn't just violence at the Capitol, but an attack on our country's democracy itself. All right, another litmus test and uh, majority of Florida Republicans side with Trump again, other than the two that Antonio mentioned down in Miami. Uh, John, you had a 5.5. You want to tell us about that? I do, Zach. Five, five and a half is five and a half hours. 
And that's the amount of time this week that it took the House and Senate to completely redo the gambling landscape in Florida. That's, uh, you know, the wink of an eye in Tallahassee. Uh, in fact, I think I remember longer debates about making key lime pie the official state pie back in the 1990s. Uh, this time around, the Senate on Tuesday met for a mere three hours and the House a day later for only two and a half hours. When they were finished, uh, a new 30-year gambling compact with the Seminole Tribe was approved. That would bring sports betting to the state for the first time, uh, you know, likely end at least a portion of the horse racing and whatever high lie is left in the state, and uh, create this new uh, gambling uh, control commission, which whose five-member board will earn $136,000 each a year. Uh, that, that's fast work that could change a lot. And uh, it's ironic because uh, gambling compacts have bedeviled legislators in the past. The one that uh, was created in 2010, that took three tries in the legislature before winning approval and uh, efforts to redo it since then have largely failed. Um, this time around, though, the compact reached by DeSantis and the tribe seems to uh, avoid those pitfalls, uh, giving the tribe the rich prize of sports betting and struggling paramutuals, maybe a lifeline for survival by getting a piece of the sports betting money. But, um, you know, the, the, the five and a half hours, uh, of course, it doesn't include a, a half day each side spent in committees examining the bills they passed. But still, the, the, the point is pretty clear that this, this big, big deal was set by the top and uh, nobody wanted to get in the way of what DeSantis wanted this time around. I think I've played rounds of golf that have lasted longer than five and a half hours, a, a pretty, pretty quick amount of time to uh, do something that big. But uh, that's how yeah. we roll in Florida. Well, yeah. my number is six. That's the consecutive number of years that a named tropical cyclone has formed in the Atlantic before June 1st, which is the official start of hurricane season. That streak could soon extend to seven years with the National Hurricane Center giving a low pressure system near Bermuda a 90% chance of forming into tropical storm Anna over the next few days. Forecasters are expecting an above average hurricane season this year, which is always something to watch in Florida, America's most hurricane-prone state. Last year was an extremely busy hurricane season with a record-breaking 30 named storms, but Florida dodged a bullet and did not have a direct hit, something that would have been pretty tough to grapple with during a pandemic and a lot of um, uh, folks uh, you know, busy at the state level handling that. The Florida Division of Emergency Management is still in pandemic mode as it works to distribute vaccines, but probably has a little bit more bandwidth to deal with other issues as the vaccination effort becomes less and less chaotic and more routine. Hopefully, Florida's emergency planners won't be tested with a storm but it's always a possibility. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.